Well, thanks, worship team. Kids, you're dismissed for Children's Church, so if you'd like to make your way to the back, you can do so at this time. For the rest of us, let's take our Bibles. We will turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we'll be looking at the passage that was read during the Scripture reading. And of course, this passage shares with us Jesus walking on water. Now, you know, sometimes when we look at the stories in the Gospels and We see something amazing, something miraculous that Jesus does, like walking on water. We look at it and we think, well, isn't that something? And we forget that in addition to Jesus performing a miracle, there is a purpose behind that miracle. And the purpose in all that Jesus did was to reveal the glory of the Father. We know that because in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews shares with us that Jesus reveals the Father in the most complete and full way. So each time we see Jesus perform a miracle, there's a twofold purpose. Number one, he's revealing the glory of God the Father. But number two, he's also giving authenticating proofs to the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh, God who took on humanity, who came to live in our midst. And he wants us to understand that the writers, the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers, wants us to understand who Jesus is. And certainly this passage in Mark gives us further revelation concerning Christ. Now, as we come to this passage, we find that Very often, a problem that we encounter can reveal the Lord's glory in a very unique way. And what we find is this. Sometimes we find ourselves in a predicament, and when we look at life, if we aren't thinking in terms of who God is and what He does, we can see those predicaments as just sort of random. You know, I have a problem. I just kind of fell into bad luck, and here's this problem, and it just comes on randomly, and there's really nothing that you can do about it. The Bible presents something quite different. Rather than random events, random predicaments that we find ourselves in, there's a wise God that directs the affairs of our lives and the lives of those around us. And what we could, if we aren't thinking in terms of God, what we could see as random really isn't random at all. There's a purpose behind it. And there's a wise God who has brought that purpose to pass. And that's what we're going to see here as we look at the setup that Mark gives us as to what happens with Jesus and with his disciples. Look at verse 45. And notice it shares with us that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now, the immediately comes right on the heels of another miracle. That miracle was the feeding of 5,000 men, and as Matthew tells us, probably women and children as well. So anywhere from ten to 15,000 people were fed with only five loaves and two fishes. Jesus did the miraculous. And so here is this crowd. They just witnessed what Jesus has done, and the disciples are with him, and they've just witnessed what Jesus has done. So Jesus tells the disciples to get into a boat and to go across the lake, and he would meet them later. 
Now, why did Jesus tell the disciples to leave? If you'll remember, earlier on in the sixth chapter, Jesus had told the disciples that they really needed to go somewhere to kind of regroup after they had gone out and witnessed and had lived off of the hospitality of people and had reported back to him. So perhaps Jesus was telling them to do this so that they could go and rest. Now, John gives us an interesting insight into another reason that could have been as to why Jesus sent the disciples away. Notice John chapter 6 says this, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So perhaps there was a groundswell of people saying, we want to put Jesus in as king of Israel right now in this moment when they really didn't understand who Jesus was or what he was about. And so to keep the people from just reacting to a miracle that they had just seen, Jesus sends the disciples away and Jesus himself goes to a solitary place to pray. But I believe the primary reason for Jesus sending the disciples away was that they might see his glory. You see, in sending the disciples away by boat to cross the lake, Jesus knew that they had an appointment with wind and waves and that they would get stuck in the middle of the lake and that he would walk by them and they would cry out and that he would calm the water and that he would demonstrate to them in a unique way his power over nature, his strength to defy the laws of physics. Jesus had a purpose. The disciples didn't realize it or recognize it, but that in no way diminishes the fact that Jesus is God and that he would demonstrate it in a very unique way. You know, when we look at our own lives, all of us from time to time, wonder why God does what he does. Now, here with the disciples, we can see some answers because we see the beginning of the story and the middle of the story and the conclusion of the story, and we can see how Jesus worked all of these things out to accomplish his purpose. Sometimes God makes us privy to those things, and sometimes he doesn't. When God makes us aware of what's going on, it's easy to worship him and thank him and to understand that, yes, God is in control. God has the power to do things. It's easy for us to do that. But, you know, sometimes God doesn't let us in on what he's doing. He doesn't express to us his purpose. And sometimes the very purpose of just developing us and causing us to be stronger because of endurance and perseverance is God's purpose and plan. Whatever the purpose and plan, we can understand this. There is a wise and loving God behind what happens in our lives. And when he directs us to do something, there's always his purpose behind it. And we can count on that. We can rest in that fact. For the disciples, they were sent on this mission to go across the lake. And for Jesus, look at what happens. 
Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, this is the 45th verse, and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And then verse 46, look at this. After leaving them, he went to a mountainside to pray. Now, Jesus was taking time to pray. We don't know the content of his prayer. Perhaps he was interceding for his own disciples and about what was about to happen. Perhaps he was praying for the people who were starting to catch a glimpse of who he was but still didn't really understand. Perhaps Jesus was praying for strength because he knew that he wouldn't become king by the people calling him to be king. He would go by way of the cross and then returning again. We don't know the purpose of the content, but what we do know is this. The disciples went this way, Jesus went this way, and God was going to do something amazing. Then we come to the 47th through 48th verses. Now, the story continues by the disciples coming into a very difficult situation. And you know, as I look at this story, and I think about the disciples... These were men who were fishermen. Going out on a boat and crossing the lake isn't a big deal. Now, they had one episode earlier where Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat and a storm blew in, and then they had to call on Jesus to calm the water. But that had already happened. They had learned their lesson. There wouldn't be any more storms on the lake, right? Jesus certainly wouldn't put them through that again. Here are these disciples, though, these seasoned fishermen, and what they probably saw as just another trip across the lake turned out to be much, much more than they bargained for. Look at what the text goes on to say in verse 47. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he, referring to Jesus, was on land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because... The wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night. Now, that would be between 3 and 6 in the morning, okay? So we're talking real, real early in the morning or real, real late at night, depending on your perspective. And here they are at 3 to 4 in the morning or 3 to 6 in the morning. And they look out. And what do they see? They see him walking on the lake. Now, because we have heard this story, we lose some of the wonder of this. But I want you to try and forget everything you've heard about Jesus walking on water for a moment. And I want you to think about this. You're in the darkest part of night. You're in a windstorm. You're not making any headway. You take two strokes forward and you go one and a half back. And you're wondering, am I ever going to get out of this wind and get across the lake? And you look out and you see a form moving across the water. How would that make you respond? I don't know about you, but man, that would freak me out. I would be scared out of my socks, except this, I guess they had sandals, so I'd be scared out of my sandals, you know. To see a form moving across the water. We see a little bit later that they thought this was a ghost. And maybe they thought we're dying and something's coming to get us to inform us that we've, we're dying. 
You know, we don't know what was going through their mind, but we can all sympathize with the fact that when they looked out there, they were frightened, and we would be too. Jesus was allowing the disciples to be in a place where they couldn't go forward, they couldn't go backward, and now they're seeing something that they couldn't explain. They were frightened. And you know, when we look at our own lives, very often we see the same thing, don't we? Sometimes in our lives it feels like I'm not making any headway. I'm just treading water and kind of staying where I am. I'm not moving ahead. I'm not exactly moving backwards. I'm stalled out. What do I do here? Why did God put me in a place to where nothing really is going on? And we ask that question. But then in the midst of that question, we see something that's unexplainable that God does. And we wonder even more because at that point, in that moment, we still don't have any answers. We're wondering what's going on. Where are we going with this? How can this be? God, I think, allowed the disciples to go through this so that they could see something amazing. We know the form moving across the water was Jesus. He never left them. He was aware of everything that was going on and he was there to protect and to see them through. But the disciples didn't know that. They were in a place of panic, of fear, and they were immobilized. I don't know, maybe some of you this morning feel kind of like your life's immobilized. Maybe you're looking and you're saying, You know, I try to follow what God wants me to do, and I'm stuck. There's nothing really going on here. I'm just paddling like crazy in this boat of life and not getting anywhere. Listen, sometimes being in that place is right where we need to be because God needs to do a work in our hearts and in our lives, and we'll be there until God and his presence comes before us. And that's what we find with the disciples. Here they are, they they look out, and they see him walking on the lake, and then notice it says he was about to pass them by, but when when they saw him walking on the lake, they cried out he was a ghost, and they, they were frightened because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, what's going on here to... Look at this from our perspective. It almost sounds kind of casual the way Mark frames it. Here's Jesus walking on the water, and he's about to pass them up as they're treading, and they catch a glimpse of him, and he turns around and says, oh, are you having a problem? That's not what we need to understand as going on, okay? That isn't what's happening here at all. Mark is using some very important Old Testament statements that Jesus fulfills that we need to consider more than just the English words that we find on this page. And I want us to think about them. First of all, as far as Jesus walking on the water, you know in the Old Testament, there are many passages of Scripture that talk about God treading upon the water. It's a picture of the power of God 
the strength of God over nature. If any of you are near water and you see water during a storm, the power that you see in that water being churned up and moving around is, is intense. You know, I, I used to enjoy going to the beach in South Carolina. Everybody in West Virginia goes to Myrtle Beach. That's just the law. And we would go there, and one time I was there as a hurricane was out to sea, and the waves that came in were crashing against the pier, and I walked out on the fishing pier just to get a glimpse of what it's like, and I looked down at that water, and I could feel the pier moving around, and I could feel the, the, the breakers crashing into it, decided it was probably best to get off of the pier, and what I saw was just sheer raw power. So in the Scripture, when it describes God as treading upon the water, what it's talking about is His sovereignty and power over the waves, and it's talking about the strength of God. And I believe that Jesus walking on the water was a picture of some of those Old Testament passages like Job where it says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He has the power to crush nature, to control nature, and Jesus would demonstrate that. But something else. The part of the passage where it talks about Jesus passing by, here it wasn't talking about speed. It was talking about the fact that Jesus was about to reveal a new truth about Himself to the disciples. When we look in the Old Testament, we can see this phrase, God passing by, in reference to Moses, first of all, asking God to see something of His power, to be able to understand who He is in a deeper and fuller way. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, it says this, The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. This promise to Moses that God would pass by didn't mean that God was going to walk by him and not become involved in what was going on in his life. It was a statement, I am here and I will reveal more about myself to you as I pass by. Another passage of Scripture is in 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elijah is told very much the same thing. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was demonstrating something about Himself to Elijah. And as He passed by, He saw new revelation, new understanding of who God is. I believe Mark could have used that phrase in this passage to demonstrate that by Jesus coming to them in their plight and in their worry and in their fear, that they were seeing something amazing about God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was showing the disciples more of Himself so that they could understand that He's so much more than they had anticipated. And then look as the text continues. After we see that they were frightened and that they were terrified, we, we come to the 
49th verse, and we already saw that they thought that it was a ghost walking on the water. Now, think about what the disciples are saying by that. Does this mean that all the disciples believed in ghosts? Not necessarily. What it does say is this. They understood that no mere man could walk on water. So they had to come up with some sort of explanation about what was going on. And so what did they do? They assumed that it was a spirit. Now, if we looked at this in the original language, the word is actually phantom in the original Greek. We get our word phantom from the Greek word that sounds very much like our English word phantom. They're looking and they can't explain it. They're saying this, this can be human. So it's a specter. It's, 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 it's a spirit. It, flesh, when it's on water, sinks. We know that. That's what they're saying. So here we see this spirit... We think it's a ghost. Now, we all know the story, right? We know it wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a spirit. It was flesh. It was Jesus Christ. But in the moment of their fear and their confusion, here are the disciples going back to superstition, going back to human reason, human thought, and forgetting that God transcends human reason and thought. It's amazing that none of them thought, hey, this could be Jesus. They had seen him calm a storm before. They had seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle. But rather than going to it and saying, here is God, what do they do? They come up with irrational choices as to who this could be. And you know, when we're in the midst of fear, When we see things that we don't understand, we can go there very easily too, can't we? It's really easy to forget that God should be the person we go to first, not last. Not after running through all of our resources and possibilities turning to God, but understanding that we turn to God first. They should have cried out to the Lord rather than crying out to a specter or just crying out in fear. But they didn't, because fear had taken hold of them. And you know, that's something that fear does to all of us. It prevents us from seeing God's glory. We need to be careful to not allow fear to so take over our thinking that we don't consider God in the moment. The disciples did And I believe this is put into this passage to teach us to not make the same mistake. Do not look and say, I'm so frightened, I'm going to forget God and I'm going to forget His deliverance and I'm going to forget His power. I'm going to look at what's happening in my life right now and it's so frightening, I'm immobilized, I can't do anything. God doesn't want us to think that way. But then we go on in the text. And as we come to the 50th verse. Notice Mark goes on to tell us that Jesus spoke to the disciples. The very presence of the Lord delivered the disciples from their fear and from their hopelessness. And look at what we find. Immediately He spoke to them. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. 
Now, the words of Jesus to the disciples, I think, are essential. They cried out when they saw what they thought was a ghost. So immediately, Jesus had to calm them. He had to assuage their fear. And so he speaks to them. And he says, first of all, take courage. You know, when you're in the midst of fear, you're not thinking about anything except how do I get out of this situation? How do I get delivered from what is scaring me to death? And we panic. And very often what we find is the panic that causes us to do foolish things complicates our situation rather than in any way helps in the situation. God is something quite different. When we cry out to God and we hear from His Word, we find that perspective comes and fear no longer has us in a place to where we're immobilized or going in a direction that we shouldn't go. When God speaks to us through His Word, and through encouragement, we can find that we can make it through the fear that could cause us to do terrible things. And this is what happens with the disciples. Jesus cries out, take courage. And then he says something else. Notice the middle statement that we find in the book of Mark. Take courage, and then it is I. Now what the NIV translates as, it is I is in the original language, simply, I am. Now we know from the Old Testament, I am is the name of Jehovah. Jesus was saying to the disciples more than an identification, hey, I'm not a ghost, it's me. I think Jesus was saying to the disciples, I am God. This is an interesting statement when Jesus was taken to be crucified. Remember, an entire Roman cohort comes to take Jesus captive, and they asked if he was Jesus. And remember what Jesus said? I am. Remember what happened to the cohort? They all fell backwards. The power of Jesus... The power that Jesus Christ is the great I am is found in that statement. So Jesus was saying to the disciples, don't be afraid because the presence of God is with you. And you know, I think that's a statement that we can all cling to. In our fear, in those moments when we look and we wonder, how do I go on? What's going on here? How can these things be? There is the very presence of God. In verse 51, it says, Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When we look at this text, we see that the disciples were immediately delivered. Jesus steps into their boat. He provides peace for them by calming the water. But then, I don't want to gloss by verse 52 because I think it's significant. Why had the disciples immediately gone the ghost route? Why had the disciples been so confused about what was going on and so fearful? 
Look at the 52nd verse. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. All that the disciples had seen, the miracles, the healings, everything that they had seen, and yet here they were with hardened hearts. You know what that says to me? As believers, we can fall into the danger of a hardened heart. We can forget who God is, what He's able to do, the intimacy that we should have with Him as our God and as our Savior. All of those things can become so complacent. They can reach a level to where our hearts are hardened toward God when they need to be directed toward Him, recognizing who He is and what He's capable of doing in our lives and in the lives of others. Disciples who were with Jesus every day and saw all that Jesus did had hard hearts. And you know, for those of us who serve God and who love Him, and who seek to walk with Him, our prayer should be, God, don't let me have a hard heart. Don't let me listen to praise music and read the Bible and see you do amazing things in my life and in the lives of other people, but still have a hard heart that doesn't recognize your greatness and truly worship you. Isn't it easy to just fall into the routine of being a Christian? Isn't it easy to do the things that we do because, hey, we've always done them. And yes, I see God as amazing, but my heart's still hard. We need to be careful of that. And we need to be careful to not be like the disciples in this, but how easy it is for that to happen, isn't it? Why is it more easy to fall into complacency than it is commitment? We need to be careful to not become complacent, but to remain committed to Jesus Christ. The disciples had lost that perspective, and so perhaps this trip across the lake was to address that problem of their hardened hearts. When we go on in the text, after this comment about the disciples having hard hearts, we move on and we find that Jesus provided healing for those who were hopelessly sick. Miracle after miracle is cataloged by Mark. And as we come to the next part of this passage... The 53rd verse, notice what it says. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, the people recognized Jesus and they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard He was. Jesus' power was evident again and again and again, but also His compassion He offered hope to the hopeless and to the helpless. And Jesus demonstrated it again and again and again by His power. 
You know, the amazing thing that we find here is this. It was the power of Jesus that healed people. Anyone who came to him was healed. I had a friend who was confined to a wheelchair from infancy. He was never able to walk. And he went into a healing service and seriously sought healing so that he could be made whole and walk like other people. So when he went, he went with full faith that this is going to resolve my issues. But it didn't. And at the close, when he wasn't healed, you know what he was told? You didn't have enough faith. So not only did he have the hurt of the continued condition, but he had a guilt trip laid on him where he was told that he couldn't be healed because of him. That wasn't the case with Jesus. All who came to Jesus were healed. They were brought on mats. They were carried in people's arms. Jesus was there healing people, and it was a demonstration of his compassion, of his power, of the fact that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promised one who would make the lame to walk and the blind to see. This was Jesus. So here are the disciples. They had hard hearts, and yet every day, what did they see? God doing miraculous things. I don't want to be one of those people that sees God do amazing things and yet have a hard heart toward him. We should be careful to do self-evaluation consistently and ask ourselves, is my heart hardened toward God? Whereas I see him do wonderful things, do I give him the praise and the adoration that he deserves? One final thought. He proved his power and compassion completely. Look at verse 56. Wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Now, there's a reason that Mark brings this to bear. When we get into the seventh chapter, we're going to immediately go into those who didn't believe, who heard the reports, who even saw the miraculous healings themselves, and yet refused to believe. It's amazing how some people will refuse to place their faith in Jesus Christ, even when He tugs on their heart, even when He woos them and, and calls them to come into a relationship with Him, they stand with feet planted and a firm refusal to turn to Him. Jesus gives ample proof of who He is, of His power, of His promise, of the fact that He is more than just a man. And we need to understand that for ourselves as we share that with others. Don't become complacent. Don't become hard-hearted. 
Don't come to the place to where you say, Jesus is really great and awesome and really have no meaning or heart behind those words. But understand that He's so much more and we need to have hearts that worship Him in truth and in faith. Jesus has proven His power and His compassion. He did it with the disciples again and again and again and again. And yet, that 52nd verse just troubled me as I read this passage. Their hearts were hardened. If you take nothing else from this passage, take this. Don't have hardened hearts that turn away from a God who does such wonderful amazing things, not just recorded in the pages of Scripture, but every day all around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the reminder that it is to us that Jesus is God, that Jesus has proven that he is God again and again and again. Father, Even though He is God and even though we have trusted Him, we can become lazy. We can become complacent. We can come to the place to where we don't see Him for who He is. Guard us from hard-heartedness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.